This episode is brought to you by DistroKid. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Is it what the can you even hear me? Starting with your spot that I'm in. Not enough to feed the hungry. I'm tired and I for a while now. Hey friends, today's guest is Burt McCracken lead vocalist for the Orem, Utah rock band, The Used. Together, we dissect the writing, recording, and inspiration behind the hit single, The Taste of Ink, taken from their 2002 self-titled debut album. This song is awesome. I've loved it since the day I heard it, and getting to break it down all these years later with an old friend was so cool. The Used story is one of triumph, perseverance, and having a few stars line up along the way. Their first demo recording somehow found its way to producer John Feldman, who took the band under his wing, fine-tuned and dialed in their songs, then began shopping them to major labels, eventually signing with Warner Brothers Records. The Taste of Ink blew up at radio and MTV, and giant tours such as Mayhem, Taste of Chaos, Warp Tour, and Ozfest put the used in front of massive audiences. Burt mentioned that he's still extremely proud of this song and his lyrics, as he should be. It's a ripper. And the inspiration for the title of the song is awesome. Something I never would have guessed. So for all this and a ton more, sit back and get comfortable. This is a good one. Hey, hey, have you heard? Krista makes a podcast. Hey, hey, have you heard? Krista makes a podcast. Hey, hey, have you heard? Krista makes a podcast. Hey, Bert, how are you? Dude, I'm good. How are you? <laughs> I'm so good. Nice. I, you know, I, I don't know what, you know, how fond of your memories of touring with Less Than Jake are back in the day, but your name comes up a lot, my friend, in our <laughs> camp. Let me tell you. We'll save it for another podcast, but I had a ball with you when we were younger. <laughs> That's right. We did tons of crazy tours together. <laughs> Absolutely. And I, I, I always say this on the show. I don't know where the years have went, but uh, Bert, you're, you're living in Australia, uh, Sydney. How long you been there for now? I've been down here for 10 years. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I knew I didn't did not realize it's been that long. Does it feel like home there or you you still kind of got one foot in the States and one foot there? Well, it does feel like home when I'm on an airplane and I start to hear that horrific Australian accent. I'm like, oh, here we go. (laughs) (laughs) But I still have a US phone. I'm still kind of uh Still kind of floating. I can't ditch my U.S. phone, so. Gotcha, gotcha. Well, you know, I I did a little bit of researching, as I do for these episodes, and uh, before I get to that, I got to say, not just because you're here, not because you're, you're, you're an old friend, but if I had to pick a song in the 2000s, from 2000 to 2010, uh, maybe even my number one, definitely in the top three, The Taste of Ink. This song nice. is awesome, man. Every time I ever saw, we ever toured together, your band, I could be backstage. I would hear the, the, the song start and I would run back through the halls or through the field where we were at. I wanted to see you play the song because there's something special about it. We we get those tracks, if you're lucky enough to get to, to, to be a band that gets those tracks that resonate with people for whatever reason. And if you could take us back uh, to writing the track, I, I did find the demo that uh, doesn't really have a chorus. We'll talk about that in a little bit, but uh, the foundation was there, the feel, your phrasing. You know, you 
you were definitely definitely appealing to someone like John Feldman, who ended up producing the record. John was living in, and still does, lives in California, and I understand he had you guys come out based on this demo right. to look for a deal at the time, and he could see through it, and having been, I know what the scene was like in the 90s in Salt Lake City. It was incredible, yeah. the, the punk rock scene, and you yeah, guys came really from that and you had everything you were young you were just a maniac as you know back then for sure and you had this disenfranchised youth being from you know mormon country salt lake and take us back was was this one of the first songs that that you wrote for for the project i think we had a bunch of other demos first i remember this one being uh really special and i was living with quinn at the time his house is kind of shabby, so it kind of fit the theme of, you know, getting to that escape point, really finding your place and going there, you know. Um, so, yeah, I wrote the lyrics at, in the middle of the morning, you know, four o'clock is what the time was. <laughs> hence the <laughs> hence the iconic line that everyone sings every single time we play it. Yeah, so I wrote the song that night, and, you know, when you write a song, Sometimes after you finish the melody and the lyrics, you're like, okay, this is really, really good. So we had this chorus that was <laughs> really, really not as good as the verses. Almost describe it as is art rock. The, the, right. the choruses on the demo was very artsy and like post punk. I'm like, what is this? But at the same time, I I, I knew where you were coming from. If that right. makes sense, even though it didn't end up being the song that we that we all know and love. Yeah, I kind of um, came from a totally different world than my band. They they were all kind of fans of Goldfinger and Rancid, and for me, I was just a fan of like Ink and Dagger and Texas is the Reason and these bands that were right. quite obscure and and I guess you'd say artsy. Um, so yeah, in the beginning, I was kind of trying to avoid anything that was close to the chorus that we ended up with. But um, yeah, I slowly came around. We sent the demo to John Feldman. I think he was in Europe at the time and he called us back the next day. He's like, this is absolutely fucking incredible. I'm going to fly you guys out. We'll do a demo. We'll see what happens. So, What was that like? You were like 19. Yeah, I was 18 and we were over the moon. We couldn't believe it. I remember being at the airport and just and like, this can't really be happening. We're going to record a proper demo. We loved our original demo. I remember we uh, had a disc of it and we asked the bowling alley to play it. And everyone <laughs> in the bowling alley was like, wow, what the fuck is this? So I think yeah. we kind of had a an inkling of where this possibly could go. We knew that it was different and we knew that it was really good. Actually, we were kind of really proud of it and confident. So yeah, John Feldman heard the jam. He flew us out. We recorded maybe memories, box full of sharp objects and the taste of ink and driving around at five in the morning, listening to the songs as loud as we could. John Feldman had this, had this way about him where he was, uh, non-stop you know he could work 24 hours a day for a week straight <laughs> dude is intense man yeah. he has always been that way super awesome work ethic he he definitely inspires me to 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 push and push and push and find that drive so you were into this like you know post-punk texas is the reason you, you know you, some of these bands and at the same time you know it, there's, there's tags and labels put on everything, as you know. You were lumped into Screamo. I heard all the d descriptors of your band, but very early on when I saw him, like, okay, th this kid can hide behind the facade that he's a screamer, but he can sing. I knew yes. you could sing, and I, and, I, and I heard you, and it was just like, okay, yeah, he can scream. I, and my listeners know I have, I have scream envy. If I scream like you guys, I, I, would, I, just, I wouldn't be able to sing the rest of the set, so <laughs> I, I would love to, lo love to be able to do it, but you blended those so well. You you sang so well, and then you had the parts where you had to to, to scream and, and do that thing, and and uh, it, it was the perfect uh, mashup in my opinion. Yeah, we um, initially 
the kind of phrase emo was such a bum out to us. You know what I mean? Like we're a rock band, (laughs) but I think full circle and seeing this resurgence, I I'm, I'm always saying we're an emo band now with a fucking most emo of bands that exists. (laughs) But yeah, the, the demo was absolutely insane. We, showed it to a few people. They flipped out. We ended up um, doing showcases for every major label that existed at the time. And then you ended up signing with Warner Brothers and your A&R guy was, of course, Craig Aronson, who was less than Jake's A&R guy at both yep. Capitol Records and at Warner Brothers. And I remember Craig. I remember him like it's yesterday. Rest his soul saying to me, I just signed this band. Feldman brought it to me. They're they're unreal. And I'm like, what are they called? The used. <sighs> Bird. I want to say it wasn't it wasn't four, five, six months later the record came out and you guys were on warp tour and I had you know the, the the single was out there and it was just like, okay, now now I get it and Craig was right. you guys were you guys were great for as for as young as you were, a debut album, I mean, you, you guys hit it out of the park. yeah, we were we were beyond stoked. The record, I think I never stopped listening to it for about two years on repeat. Just loving every second of it. Um, yeah, Warp Tour was our end goal. We thought as soon as we play Warp Tour, we've succeeded, and that's all we were going for. So, yeah. pl- playing on Warp Tour the first year was just one of those most exciting, most beautiful, wonderful experiences that you could possibly have. I remember lots of bands coming over and watching us on the Volcom stage, and lots of kids getting really into it. One one show in particular, the the sound went out on the stage during the Taste of Ink, and it was just after the record came out, and everybody sang the song acapella, and we were just in awe, jaws dropped, like holy shit, this is something. Well, I always marvel, and everyone's story's different. You know, years ago, if I would have said something like this, it's like, oh, well, you know, you, you almost sound like the way you did it was better. There's no right or wrong. Just because you know you get signed out of the gate and you, and you get a record that sounds like yours did. Speaking from personal experience, I mean, it took it took me and my band three or four records to develop a sound that we were proud of to where, you know, we were actually wanted people to hear this. We learned along the way and we were able to become a better band over the course of three, four five years. You guys had to do it pretty quick. You yeah. got this record that sounds amazing that had to help you as players go. Now we have to figure out how to execute this. Yeah. When we were first playing shows in Utah, it was just all about going off and going crazy. You know what I mean? I would oh, yeah. r- run a mile on that stage and end up throwing up all over the crowd. And <laughs> um, yeah, it was wild. But as soon as we had the record, it's it's just like you said. It's time to focus. It's time to nail these parts down. As soon as we nail these parts down, then we can figure out how to go off. So yeah, it was a learning experience for us, but we were we were stoked. I think that I was in the same boat as you. I I didn't I wasn't quite sure about the sound. I was in a hardcore band before, just all screaming, so I wasn't sure about a lot of it. I actually um while we were recording the record at Feldman's, I quit the band for a little bit and disappeared. Went up to Santa Barbara and turned my phone off and just <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I was in my mind, I was like, I don't know if I'm ready for this. I don't know if this is what I really wanted. All my favorite bands are super small, playing the Tower Theater or DV8 or right, you know, right. Bricks. I saw you guys at Bricks a couple times. It was awesome. Oh yeah, and then the yeah Bricks, and then of course what was it DV8 Basement? It was called in Salt DV8 Lake. DV8 Basement yeah. was the punk rock world down there. It was. It was like a, a 500 degree boiler room down yes, there, and they would yes. put you in a basement in the middle of the desert, and that's where you played. <laughs> <laughs> so many good shows down there. It was awesome. Well, and, and let's talk about that real quick. Cause I, I, I mentioned a little bit at the top that scene you came from, it was really split into fragments. You had some really militant straight edge, hardcore kids in Utah, Salt Lake at that time, you had the punks, you had the, you know, the kind of the, the alternative kids and, you know, how, how did that ultimately shape uh, you as you as a writer and you as a band? Because again, you, you even mentioned a little bit ago that your influences were a little bit uh, left of center from the rest of the band. Right. Yeah. I uh, spent at least five days a week driving up to Salt Lake to see rock shows. And a lot of the times as an artist, you're sitting back and you're kind of just maybe not listening to the music as much as taking it in. And yeah figuring out what they're doing and what you would do different. 
yeah, so it was a, a lot of inspiration from just all the all the rock band. Salt Lake was a beautiful scene. It was so many straight edge hardcore shows, so many dirty punk rock shows, and everything in between. It was fantastic. We started down in Utah County, and every place we played, they would ask us to please never play here ever again. <laughs> <laughs> well, that means you're doing something right. And don't take this the wrong way, because I've thought this about, about my own band many times. I often wonder if if we were in L.A., especially when we started with the glut of all the ska punk thing in Southern California, if we just would have been another band and not got noticed. You know, did right. you ever feel that way, that being from Salt Lake kind of, kind of, uh, you know, like would, would Feldman have found your demo in Los Angeles? Yeah, we were in a different situation. I think Utah is, especially Utah County where I grew up, it's probably 90% uh, religious Mormons. And so it's really, really tough to be outside of that circle. It's really ostracizing and um, people in the Mormon church, as Christians do, they believe it's their duty to bring you over to God. And if that's not the case, then they're a little bit upset about it. I remember people in our little neighborhood and you would point out the people who weren't going to church. You know, you knew exactly what house was drinking coffee. (laughs) So yeah, it was, my childhood was full of angst and um, anger and heartbreak and uh, trauma. So I think, yeah, in a big way, I think being from Utah really um, put us in a different boat and kind of made us a, a completely different band than bands from LA. Absolutely. And I, I just flash back. I can see us sitting in the front of the back lounge of a, on tour somewhere. And, and you know, we, we'd have a couple in us and you'd start in on the whole religion thing out in, in Utah. And I'm like, here we go. Buckle up. Bert's on his, Bert's on his tirade. <laughs> when you're young and you're atheist, it's all the rage, right? Then you grow up well, a little I'm, bit. <laughs> I'm, I'm telling you, you guys, you guys did stick out. And, and all those factors we talk about, they do play into who you are ultimately and who you become uh, as a band. But I want to I want to get into the song now, Bert. It's three minutes and twenty eight seconds. And again, not saying this, I, I don't have to to, uh, to to say it. I I love this song. I I just it just when I hear it, it takes me right back to that time period. And my listeners know, I, I, I there's nothing that can replace memories and those memories that you have attached uh, to a song. It's it's awesome. Right off the top here, we get a clean yet slightly overdriven stereo guitars with just vocals. Uh, sounds like they're. The, the, all the vocals are doubled. Do you recall doubling up on on pretty much everything? Yeah, of course. That's Feldman's Feldman's trickery. And I love the delay treatment he has on your voice. And and before we go any further, John mixed this record. And I w- you know I was talking to John about this recently that where he came from in the late '90s, like doing that first show off record, that band yep. out of Chicago, yep. and then he did like one or two other records. The next thing you know, he did. I mean, I'm like. Every time he made a record, he got better, and I feel like he really hit his initial stride with with your first record. I, right. you know, and 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 the production that he did to me to these ears, this still sounds amazing. Yeah, it was um, definitely a strange time in recording. Uh, Pro Tools was just kind of starting to be the thing. And, yeah, um, nobody knew how to use it really. Everybody was just kind of experimenting, and John has that kind of work ethic where he just put his head down in the computer and went crazy. So I think that initially a lot of the stuff on our record and a lot of the sounds you hear and a lot of the tricks he used were brand new, you know? Yeah. And around this time, 2001, when you were tracking the record, uh, or 2002, yeah, you're right. Pro Tools was in its infancy. I mean, bands were still, you know, going to tape as much as they were to Pro Tools, and uh, a lot of the bands we were a guinea pig for producers. Like, hey, I got this thing called Auto Tune. Let's 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 check this out. <laughs> <laughs> make make everyone sound like Cher. But uh, uh, up until the lyric for a while now, it's just that guitar and the vocals here. Is it worth the can you even hear me? Is it worth it? Can you even hear me? Standing with your spotlight on me. Not enough to feed the hungry. I'm tired and I've felt it for a while now. In this sea of lonely, the taste of ink is getting old. It's four o'clock in the fucking morning. Each day gets more and more like the last day. 
every part of that is everywhere I was. Um, the taste of ink initially came from me writing, having a pen in my mouth, and the pen broke, and I literally had ink all over my face and my mouth. I always thought this was maybe about your first tattoo. No, it was about breaking a pen. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Okay. And living at Quinn's house, um, you know, I didn't have a job. I didn't have anything going on. It felt kind of like a loser. Everyone else in the house had a job. Quinn had a job. Um, would look at me when he came home like, what the fuck have you been doing? <laughs> <laughs> Nothing. Um, I've, been, I've been getting baked all day writing lyrics. <laughs> so, yeah, I was uh, hungry, physically hungry. And... And mentally, there's a hunger to be out there. It's really all we wanted is to be able to tour and play our music live for other people. Were you jotting your ideas down as a young kid before you even knew you were going to be a songwriter? Did you write poetry and things yeah. like that? You strike me you strike me as someone that would express themselves that way. Yeah, creative writing and poetry was always uh, two of my favorite um, subjects in school. And I'm, yeah, I'm constantly writing poems i have poems from back when i was 16 17 18 well that's what i wanted to ask was this was this something that was maybe sitting around in a book that you're like hey you know quinn or someone said i got this idea for a riff and and you 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 thumbed through your book and came across this or was this written specifically for the track do you remember yeah this was just specifically for the track i remember the song sounded so unique that i didn't really feel like a lot of the stuff i had would fit a lot of my poems are kind of really positive and uplifting. And I thought this song deserved a little bit of uh, hunger and force and um, longing. When I look at this on paper and you, and you told me, you, and, I, and I know you, you had, you had a, a, a rough upbringing and there was the, the, the religious uh, uh, factor and everything that, that we discussed, but something about this line really jumps off the paper in this sea of lonely. You know, here you are a young kid, you're, you're crashing with your bro, you got a band and I'm sure you were going to shows. What's that lonely you're speaking of there in that lyric? I feel like it was really mostly Partly, not mostly, partly to do with um, me not having a job, me not having any prospects, me not, I dropped out of school really young and I felt like I was in my own little boat there. Quinn graduated from high school, I think Brandon did, maybe Jeff did not, but um, yeah, so I felt a little bit out of place. I listened to different music and when they put on um, Rancid or Social Distortion, I just, I just don't get it. You know what I mean? I just, that's just, it's just, it's just not for me. So I was like, am I really outside of the circle here? Do I really fit in with this band? I love the guys, but do I really, um, is this really my spot? Well, and of course, but you know, Brandon Steinecker, you know, he, drummer is now has played with the Rancid for years. I don't hear any of that in the used music. It's amazing that three guys in the band were so into that, and the one guy that wasn't. But your first record sounds anything like pop punk, uh, you know, what was going on in the '90s. Right. Yeah, we all came from such different worlds. I think my my inspirations and, and where I came from kind of helped push the band in a different direction. But we we all were definitely searching for something new we wanted we didn't want to be rancid we didn't want to be um head pe we didn't want to be corn we want we wanted to be something outside of that just like i felt we wanted to be something outside of the box something outside of the circle you didn't sound like anybody and again not i'm not kissing up not just saying it because we're talking you you didn't sound like anybody a lot of bands came after you that that i felt bit off your sound and that's probably the highest compliment you could get you know right. they're like wow this is a this is a great sound but uh you know we talked about the vocals here <sighs> how many times have i heard this song how many times have i seen you play it live and it didn't dawn on me till i till i'm sitting here really deconstructing it the vocals every line's punched here okay it's like an overdub what was that like singing this song live for the first time you you had to really adapt that right yeah it's um it's a crazy thing. I was really kind of anti Pro Tools and anti the computer and anti Auto Tune, and I didn't really I know what that. we were doing. Um, but yeah, the lyrics flow so evenly and like never really stopped that we would do. Is it worth it? Can you even hear me? Not enough to feed the hungry. You know, every alternating every line. <laughs> which felt, and you're sitting there as a 20 year old kid. You're going, "What are you doing? How yeah. is this going to work?" Yep. Felt super strange. Didn't really like how it felt, but after hearing the finished product, I was like, 
dude, this is genius. I'm so stoked. It is. And I got to tell you, I don't know if you had producer John Feldman in 2023. I could be wrong. Uh, I just know for me, if I would have gotten this song, I don't know if I would have done those overdubs. I might have had you been like, hey, let's just take out a word here. Do you have to say, you know, right. not enough on this line? Could we take that part out and just tighten it up a little bit? Because it, it almost shouldn't work on paper, but it's awesome. Yeah. I think if we... If we re-recorded it, which we will never do, what a, what a waste of time that would be. Yeah, <laughs> re-recording your old stuff. I'm not. Di- I'm not trying to diss any other bands. <laughs> um, but yeah, if we ever did record the re-record the song, I would probably sing it straight. I've had so much practice, and we've played the song uh, thousands and thousands of times, probably. Right. Well, halfway through here, there's a nice bass guitar slide in with the drums and an overtone or harmonica of a guitar uh, panned off right. And that lasts until the line. Uh, the taste of ink is getting old. Uh, I love those little nuances, those little chorusy guitar parts that are coming in and out. And I know that as a young band, that that w- was most likely John uh, Feldman's suggestion of, hey, try this. And right. what was that like? That had to just be so exciting because I didn't get into stuff like that, like I said, Bert, till probably my fourth or fifth record. Right. You know, there was no bunch of overdubs and, and, and doubling vocals. We didn't have the money or the time or the know-how. Yeah, it, it was a learning process. It was a learning curve for me to kind of, swallow my pride, do away with the rotten ego and take some, take some constructive criticism in, in a, in a good way. We, we had a lot of rearrangements and changing of parts and flipping parts around. A lot of stuff from our demos was changed, which, you know, about demos, you listen to demos so much and you just kind of get, what do they call it? Demo you get married ideas. to it. Yeah, you, you yeah. do. And yeah. uh, so when we went out there and he's trying to chop all our songs up, I'm just like, what are we, what are we doing here? What are we, do- what mm-hmm. are we doing right now? Well, I wanted to ask you, did you, you know, you were young. How protective were you, especially of your lyrics? Very. But it's a good thing John was really, really into the lyrical content. So I didn't, I didn't change anything except for the course of the Taste of Ink. Everything else was kind of, um, yeah, everything else was set. And slowly but surely got into um, John Feldman's vibe. He's such a he's such a good guy that it's hard not to take some criticism from him and and learn from it. Correct me if I'm wrong. I could speak for myself. There's been not even in music, just instances in in life where you're like, at some point, I guess what I'm saying is the honeymoon's over. This guy flies you out. He heard the demo. He puts you up. You, he records the demo. You're flying high. Now you're doing the record. And like I said, you know, you've known him for a while, and now you're like. What are you doing to my songs? Why right. are you deconstructing them? There had to be a moment of that, as you said. Yeah, I think the whole band kind of went through that. We were <laughs> all very scared. Like, what? Yeah. I didn't know that yeah. this, this was uh, what producers do. But what we got was epic. So we were all really stoked. Absolutely epic. I mean, as I said, this song is. 21 years old now and it still sounds just as amazing as it, to me as the day it was released still i can see it coming while I'm standing in the river drowning, this could be my chance to break out. This could be my chance to say goodbye. At last, it's finally over. Couldn't take this town much longer. Being half dead wasn't what I planned to be. Now I'm ready to be free. The longing and the hunger really kind of presents itself there. Was done with Utah. Was done with especially Pleasant Grove, Utah. Was done with the life I knew and wanted to wanted to be on tour that's the foundation of this song is that longing to be on tour simple as that hey everybody we got lots more coming up with Bert McCracken after a few words from our sponsors looking to elevate your music career distro kit is a digital music distribution service 
that enables musicians to distribute their music to online stores and streaming platforms such as Spotify, Apple Music, YouTube Music, Amazon, Tidal, and many more. DistroKid collects earnings and payments, sending them to you, the artist. With DistroKid, artists unlock a world of possibilities. From easily paying collaborators with splits to securing your music with DistroLock, DistroKid covers all bases. Plus, you can promote your releases with HyperFollow and create eye-catching visuals with a Spotify Canvas generator, all for free. But that's not all. Introducing the DistroKid app, now available on iOS and Android. Artists can manage their releases, view streaming stats, and withdraw earnings, all from the palm of their hand. And for those looking to perfect their sound, check out Mixia. With its simple interface and customizable mastering options, artists can make their music sound polished and professional within minutes. And don't forget about Instant Share, DistroKid's newest feature. Share large files securely with collaborators, producers, and more, ensuring your music streams at the highest quality. Ready to take your music to the next level? Download the DistroKid app and explore their suite of tools today. Plus, listeners can enjoy 30% off their first year by visiting distrokid.com slash VIP slash demakes. That's distrokid.com slash VIP slash demakes. And now, back to the show. Do you look back now, because you were young when you wrote this. I'd be so proud of these lyrics myself still. I think they're fantastic. When you look at them, do they feel, I don't know what the word is, do they feel juvenile? I wouldn't do this today. Or are you still proud of them? Because I think you should be. Yeah, yeah. Still very, very proud of them. I don't know. I don't understand how bands um, survive not playing their old stuff, you know? How do you go see the used? You don't play this song? I'd be pissed. Yeah, if it, going to see the used and not, not playing the Taste of Ink, what... Confusing and horrible. <laughs> yeah, what, 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 what? Did a tornado blow in? Did they lose power for the stage? Well, why didn't, why didn't they play? There's got to be a reason. Yeah. Um, again, I, I, I love the lyrics. I love what's going on here. Talk to me about uh, standing in the river drowning. Was, was that a metaphor for drowning in your emotions, or was that an actual river? That was a metaphor for feeling overwhelmed by the nothingness of Utah. The kind of real dark side of Utah where everyone's really judgmental and um, that feels like a sea of lonely. I love, <laughs> I love the underdog. I think that's one of the reasons why I love your band so much as I know the story of, of, of where you came from and, you know, from your parents not getting what you're doing. He's a dropout. He's taken the, the, the left turn and the fork here. And did, did they or any of your family members, I'm sure they had to at some point, did they ever see 10,000 kids jumping to the taste of ink or some of your songs and going, they're singing my kids' lyrics? They they do now. I think in the beginning, they were a little skeptical and they, they were like, okay. From the time I was eight years old, I, I was telling everybody that I was going to be a singer and sing on stage. And, uh, you know, you get the classic, okay, but you better have a backup plan just in case. Yeah. What's, what's plan B? Yeah, plan B is just becomes plan a doesn't it yeah i'm still going to be laying on uh, living at quinn's couch (laughs) (laughs) i might fall off it i'm going to get back on it and go back to sleep that's about it um at the end here well actually halfway through the second uh, half of verse one the hi-hats and the back half open up really wide, and it's just driving before that chorus. I never noticed that before till I, I got under the microscope here, and I, I just love how it opens up there. On the line, now I'm ready to be free. The band stops and hangs for one bar. On bar two, the drums, bass, and guitars do a quick buildup to launch into chorus one, and that's where I wrote here in my notes in parentheses, demo, because that was the one thing up to this point. It was like, ooh, there's the song, and then it just... It took forever to get to what I thought was going to be the chorus. Then you guys just went completely, completely left of, of, of center there, which was which was really interesting to see. Do you remember? Uh, did John say we need a chorus, and how did how did the chorus eventually end up happening? Yeah, um, John loved 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 the song. Straight up said this chorus is rotten. This chorus is no good, which didn't sit well with me that much. But he kind of coddled me and consoled me. Hey. You know, everything's going to be okay. Let's go down to the beach with an acoustic guitar. And uh, just being out in Los Angeles during that time, I, 
I was like, this is it. We did it. We made it. And that's kind of what the chorus is about. Having the whole world in your hands and knowing that everything is cool. Everything's going to be awesome. That's kind of where we were at. It's a little hippie-ish, uh, <laughs> the sentiment, but it's it's beautiful though, man. It's awesome. Yeah. It's awesome. You were wearing your heart on your sleeve, man. You were saying like, I've arrived. Here I am in LA. And I, I, I think that, that uh, that's, so, that's so awesome that chorus came out of it. So here I am, it's in my hands and I'll savor every moment of this. So here I am alive at last and I'll savor every moment of this. Did you feel like you arrived that you were alive? Yeah, we're starting to hear the recorded demos and it's like, this, this is the greatest thing. I can't believe this is happening to us and really wanted to soak everything in. It was like everything we dreamed of so far is is about to happen so in my mind i'm like this is the this is going to be the best part this is the best part just getting in there playing the small shows touring with bands that are are crazy we toured with mushroom head we toured with uh, pressure four or five all these bands that uh yeah sadly aren't around but um we were out with you guys with snoop dogg and corn so <laughs> <laughs> so Which, wild that which again, was, we could have a whole a whole other podcast on on that tour alone, which was insane. Debauchery, man! This chorus, these big, huge stereo guitars come in. They sound massive, Bert, and they sound they sound angry. They sound pissed off. The drums and bass are rocking a killer groove. The vocals are doubled here. They're they're loose though, but they're ripping. Right. <laughs> they're not completely lined up, even though you were on the grid and Pro Tools. John let that breathe. I know he knows that that's important. Right. And having that rub on that double, it it just adds uh, it adds power. When sometimes when stuff is really loose, as you know, it doesn't add anything. It sounds it sounds off and, and awful. I love it here, and we get our first harmony in the song on every moment of this. And how was that? Did had you ever like harmonized with yourself prior prior to this? Yeah, I sang in choirs and um, religious you know groups and. My dad's a choir singer. He's uh, he sang for the Mormon Tabernacle Choir, which is a huge, huge deal for him. That's big. Yeah, That's awesome. Big. Okay. And so, yeah, I was I was uh, well aware of my ability to harmonize and um, getting in there. John Feldman's like, wow. I don't even have to tell you what to do. You know exactly what to sing. So that's always been one of my strong points is uh, harmonies. It's really interesting, Bert, how this song builds. You only get four words in chorus one with a harmony, and later on you you get a bunch more. And do you recall like singing all harmonies over everything, and then maybe later when John mixed it, he decided to to put a harmony here or there, or or were they specifically where they are now? Do you remember? Yeah, I think that they were planned out. I think that... Um... He has a, a style that he's he's constantly going for. Um, he has a plan. And I think that building those choruses, having a little touch on the first chorus or maybe even no harmony on the first chorus and then kind of blowing it out on the second chorus. Third chorus is even bigger with ad-lib tracks and oohs and ahs. Yeah. And yeah, I think it was intentional. It's very cool. Well, verse two comes right off the heels of chorus one. And won't you think I'm pretty when I'm standing top the bright lit city and I'll take your hand and pick you up and keep you there so you can see as long as you're alive and care. I promise I will take you there. We'll drink and dance the night away. We'll drink and dance the night away. Oh, what's going on there? I had a girlfriend at the time, was uh, really excited to have her come on this journey with me. Didn't, didn't last, but yeah, also... When I was growing up, I got bullied quite a bit. People would call me the F slur and they'd call me gay. They would say I had AIDS. And 
<laughs> so won't you think I'm pretty is a kind of a stab at all the bullying that I went through. And now it's, you know, things have changed so much that it's amazing to be exactly who you are. But in that moment, that was kind of, uh, <laughs> that was kind of trying to hurt the bullies that hurt me. You know, I was, I was out of my mind when I was your age and I was out at punk shows and, and you know, all the stuff that goes along with it, drinking and everything and, and getting crazy. But I, I didn't have that hurt that you grew up with. You know, I, I wasn't bullied, you know, I could see that in you and you took that angst to the stage. I mean, you used to, in a good way, you used to scare me when you'd get on stage, you know, here's this, here's this guy, you know, f- I don't know how tall you are, five foot six, 120 pounds soaking wet. Just, I mean, angry. <laughs> and that wasn't put on. That wasn't a show. That was, that was coming from here, man. No. Yeah. I think that, uh, I am really proud of the lyrics um, to, to my entire catalog. I think that some songs are hit and miss, but I think that most songs I found that way to sneak my poems in there and sneak my inspiration in there. But yeah, in the beginning, I'm not even in the beginning. Every time I sing The Taste of Ink, I can't help but be transported right back to that room that I wrote it in. Just like you were saying earlier, music is such a connection to memory it's such a powerful powerful uh drug just like taste and smell i think that those those types of things can take you right back to where you were well have you ever done that with with like guys you became friends with in, in the business or, or what you know you, you drive down the road and you sometimes you listen to their music and i listen to the taste of ink all the time still like it comes on playlists and i'll just i'll crank it as loud as my stereo goes and it just I got goosebumps talking about it. It takes me back to those times when it was different. You know, it was before we had kids. It was a lot of the firsts were still happening. Definitely with your band. When I met you, we had been been through some stuff where we got we got a couple years on you. But uh, you know, it's just such an exciting time, and that those memories that are attached to that it takes me right back to Project Revolution when I hear yeah. this. I, I go I go right back there. Yeah, that was a. Uh... That was a messy tour for me. <laughs> I think that starting starting out, I just wanted to, to destroy. I just wanted to mm-hmm. cause trouble, wreak havoc, and maybe be noticed for it. <laughs> well, and you did. We had a, a bus driver that came on the bus one night about 2 in the morning, and he had a bowl of cereal sitting on the counter, and he turned his back to get a garbage bag or something. He's kind of tidying up the front lounge, and... You just decided that you were going to take a spoonful of his cereal right then. And uh, yeah, he uh, threw you off the bus and and we saw you the next day. (laughs) (laughs) It's the little things. Yeah, I guess you like Honey Nut Cheerios. Who knew? (laughs) Oh, I do. Verse... That's what Frank ate. Verse two, we get a harmony on the very end on Dance the Night Away. Interesting placement of that harmony. The lead vocal in verse two is a little bit more gruff here than verse one, and it really needed to be, Bert, coming off that chorus. I mean, you're just, you're, you're screaming your heart out. The double track lead vocal is way more audible here uh, than verse one, two. Uh, halfway through, you get a cool, chorusy, overdriven guitar lick uh, panned off left that uh, comes in again. It's such a great part. I love that. And on the last line, the band doesn't stop this time, but the drums kind of introduce these two new fills to take us into chorus two. Chorus 2 is, again, doubled vocals with sporadic harmonies. It's the same lyrics as Chorus 1. We get a harmony this time on am on the first line. On hands, we get on the third line, am and at last. And no other harmonies in the song. So I know you said that you think John had it mapped out, but looking on paper, they're kind of all over the place. Yeah. I mean, like I said, Pro Tools was in its infancy, so I think everyone's just kind of figuring out how to use it. Maybe that's a huge part of it. Well, my listeners, they ad nauseum, they hear me talk about this so much, like placements of harmonies. I, I've been fascinated with it doing, every time I look down, I'm, I, I'll say to myself, man, I got to get a little more creative. I'll, I'll always do my harmonies on the second and fourth line or something. 
something. I'm like, wait a second, there's there's other ways to do this here. Yeah. You know, it's really opened up my mind to that. It's re- it's really interesting to me. That's cool. After chorus two, the very end, savor every moment of this. You let out a great scream on this line. It's not uh, overdone or too angsty. It's perfect. And then it gets into the twelve bar bridge. And and let's remember here, uh, Bert. This song is only two chord progressions. Yeah. It's the sonic tapestry of what you guys were able to accomplish with John. These parts weaving in and out. Some of the odd chords that Quinn was using. It wasn't just straight up bar chords, you know. Uh, This part is probably my favorite part of the song. I mean, uh, I probably listened to it 30 times the last couple of days. And every time the part came on, just goosebumps. whole mood changes here this part is the same progression as the choruses but the orchestration here is beautiful there's some buried vocals with heavy delay kind of circling around like here i am that's kind of harking to from the chorus those those are kind of happening here along with a broken down drums it's just kick hi-hat some light tom work bass shakers i'm hearing a piano and what sounds like some vocal pads you mentioned a little bit ago right i'm hearing some 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 stuff really buried here in the mix and the two guitars are doing a great harmony lead together and uh, on this bridge the lyric is as long as you're alive here i am i promise i will take you there as long as you're alive here i am i promise i will take you there And I saw every kid from 15 to 25 with their arms in the air for that lyric in particular. There's something about that that is so unifying and uplifting. It's a great lyric. Yeah, I think I wanted to involve the whole world. I was in this place where everything was happening and I felt like playing shows is when I would go to shows and feel that inspiration and you walk away from the show just on fire, like you want to go and write, you want to go and get creative. And I wanted to create those kind of shows. I wanted to take everyone with me on this journey. The sentiment in that lyric was on the demo. That melody was, I know John heard that melody. Because that, that melody in that bridge is gold. That to me, the whole song's great. But that part is just, it, it is so good. Coming out of the bridge, we get a third verse which I think is great because you, you need it. You can't come out of that 12 bar bridge, same chord progression as the chorus and, and hit a chorus. You have to go back to the verse. Won't you think I'm pretty when I'm standing top the bright lit city? And I'll take your hand and pick you up and keep you there so you can see it. As long as you're alive and care, I promise I will take you there. As long as you're alive and care, I promise I will take you there. And it's the same lyrics here as verse two, except for the last two lines, which are repeated. Hi-hat is wide open. Guitars sound bigger here than the other verses. Maybe they were mixed a dB louder or something. Halfway through, that chorusy, overdriven guitar lick, panned off left, comes in again. It's just, it's so moving. On the last line, you get a great scream on the word there to get us into chorus three. And I noticed here in verse three there's no uh no harmonies at all you got one little harmony on verse two no harmonies here do you recall doing them and maybe they didn't make the mix or did you want to leave them out i think john wanted to leave it bare on that get really vulnerable on that part this is the last Mm -hmm. kind of big part before we end you know and then we get into chorus three
We got the same uh, lyrics here, except we get an extra savor every moment of this. And here's where we get the most harmonies. Uh, it's on am on the first line, in my hands, savor every moment of this on the second line, am and last in the third line, savor every moment of this for the next three lines, uh, the, the same line, savor every moment of this, harmony is on everything there. The double unison vocals are here again, but the harmonies split off here, uh, as I just said, on the different words. And on moment of this, it's really emphasized and screamed before we go into the 12 bar outro fade out. And this part's really interesting because I never noticed it was probably just, I don't know, kind of fading at one of the warp tour parties or fading in my car. But the end of this becomes like a six or seven uh, second train wreck yeah. at the end of this track that you don't hear in the official video that you guys released. It was already faded out by then. This part is the verse progression. Uh, it's it's the essentially the intro, but it's an outro here. And there's some inaudible talking panned off left here. Bert, do you recall what that was? No, <laughs> I don't remember that. <laughs> yeah, there's some there's some talking going on over here. It's almost like like the feeling of like the party's winding down. Like right. this is the end of the tune and there's some people just still hanging out not wanting the night to be over or something that's the that's the vibe it gives me yeah i remember being the song's so pretty we felt like we had to destroy it at the end okay and that makes sense because uh, there's also that inaudible talking is uh, panned off left along with the guitar panned off left and that guitar panned off left is loosely playing the verse melody there at the end uh, and on bars 8 through 12 that's where everything starts to fall apart if you listen intently in headphones and crank it up the guitar notes uh, are, are kind of sliding around they're not correct and it kind of falls apart but I never knew that until I until I did this nice yeah we yeah. love to do that live as well it's so much fun to just <laughs> get gnarly to get rough so I, I i gotta ask and i think i know the answer what was it like the first time feldman goes i i gotta mix up and you're in the studio on the big speakers and he presses play what was that like yeah it's one of those moments you kind of just know you have those songs that are just kind of everything you'd want out of a song and uh yeah when he played that one it was it was those three it was taste of ink box full and maybe memories but Taste of Ink was just this anomaly. It was a, it was a specter. I'm not talking about the haters and you know some of the the too cool for school punkers back in in Utah, but your close friends, the crowd you ran with that loved you. What did they think of this? They couldn't believe it. They could not believe <laughs> how good it sounded. They were like, "This is not you guys. This is crazy. Right. This is crazy." Right. And yeah. yeah, I remember playing those three songs for literally everyone over and over and over again. It's really cool. Oh, man. Well, listen, you know, we've been trying to get this together. The time change with Australia is kind of a nightmare to do this. So thank you so much. It was great to see your face again. It's probably been 10 years since, yeah, since I've man. seen you. Yeah. And uh, but before we break, is there anything you'd like to leave the listeners with? I understand that uh, you got a new record coming out soon. May 19th. Is it called uh, Toxic Positivity? Right. Yep. Fans can expect the most um, downtrodden and negative record from the use they've ever heard. I think we recorded it mostly in, uh, I want to say, well, whatever it was, it was still deep into the pandemic where nobody could go anywhere or do anything. And um, those feelings, I think the pandemic destroyed a lot of people in a lot of different ways. So I think that this record kind of reflects that. It comes around in the end. We get we get that hopeful used message in the end, but these are a bunch of songs yeah. that are uh, as an artist, you can only write where you're at, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm definitely looking forward to hearing it. And uh, again, man, um, I'm, I'm really glad that you look back uh, very fondly on this song. Cause as you said, we see a lot of artists like, Oh, I was a kid and I yep. just, yeah, that was a song. And, 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 and they kind of want to distance themselves from it and not play it. And, and the fact that you, that you uh, still embrace it. That's, that's awesome. Yeah, we love it. Oftentimes people are like, I mean, 
how how much longer can you do this? How much longer are you going to go out there and sing Taste of Ink? <laughs> I hope for another 20, 30 years, you know, till yeah. I'm, till I'm Willie Nelson. <laughs> yeah, till 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 no one's showing up at the Rib Fest. I'm going to yep. be singing. Yep. <laughs> I'll be singing Taste of Ink. <laughs> I hope you all loved that conversation with Bert as much as I did. Amazing song, amazing band. I can't wait to talk about this with Chris in the rap segment that's coming right up, as well as the band you might not know. It's all coming up right after a few words from our sponsors. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey everybody, Satan here. I know what you're thinking. Jesus Christ, Satan has a podcast now too? No, no, that's not it. But I am here to tell you about a podcast, and it's one that's all about my favorite band, Punchline. Not the band you expected me to say, right? You probably figured I'd like Slayer, or maybe some Backwards Beatles records or something. Those are okay, but you usually find me rocking out to fan-favorite punchline albums like Action or Lion while I'm torturing dead people for all of eternity. <laughs> Punchline's podcast is called A Band Called Punchline, and it's super entertaining to listen to this documentary-style look back at the 25 years of my favorite band. Honestly, I'm really feeling like I'm getting to know these guys, and their story is amazing. I'm so ready for them to get down here. I have so many questions. I gotta give them credit for catching on to my whole 37 thing, too. There's a reason why they're my favorite band, and if you listen to their podcast, they might become yours, too. A band called Punchline is available wherever you listen to podcasts. Check it out, and I'll see you all in hell. Welcome to this week's Band You Might Not Know. If you'd like your band to be considered for Chris to Makes a Podcast, all you have to do is email your best song via MP3 only and a short bio to bandyoumightnotknow at gmail.com. This week's featured artist is Eerie, spelled E period R period I period E period. They're an indie rock band from Albany, New York consisting of TJ, Chad, Levi, and Matt. They have a new LP out now called Suburban Mayhem. Here's a snippet of their song, Bad Man's World. I swear, I should have kissed more boys. I should have kissed more girls. I'm trying to find my place in a bad, bad, bad man's world. The Rap with Chris and Chris. Chris, I think I'm on the same page as you. I think The Taste of Ink is one of the greatest songs from our world of music. I think that album is one of the greatest albums. That used debut album, I'll never forget the first time I heard it. It was like unbelievable. And I wasn't really into screaming. I mean, I liked Glassjaw. I liked here and there. But for the most part, I wasn't like a big screaming guy. But just the way he screams and the way he sings, what a voice. Melodies are amazing. Lyrics are amazing. I mean, I think it's a perfect album. And man, I was excited about this episode. Yeah, you know, and I, I kind of tread a little lightly. The band he has together now is is fantastic. You know, and I don't know how he feels about ex-members. Uh, uh, you know, some, some bands are, are, are weird about that. But... The, these kids, <laughs> this this lineup that played on this, they they were next level. They really were. You know, John Feldman really took their their 
their strengths and harnessed that as a producer and brought out these amazing songs. But just the talent, the instincts they had as, as, as young performers, and they were fresh-faced kids when I met them, man. They just had these, you know, wide-eyed look of like, what's going on? And, and uh, they, 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 they took the world by storm at that point. They were, they were awesome. They are awesome. Wild live show too. You got into that to a certain extent, mm-hmm. and uh, yeah, just they they kind of had it all. They had the perfect album, a crazy live show, and they yeah, like you said, they influenced. Jesus, can you imagine how many bands think about like Warp Tours like five to eight years later? How many bands were trying to sound like the Used? And it, it got to a point where it's like. I disliked all of those bands. Mm-hmm. I love the used, but all the bands that try to sound like them, I'm like, you don't sound like them. <laughs> you know, you're trying to, but you don't. Yeah, they had their own thing. This wasn't a screamer that went backwards and learned how to sing. This was a choir boy. This is a kid that grew up singing, okay? And he would go out, and like I said, you know, I kind of joked with him in the episode, but, uh, you know, he, he never fooled me. Like, I could hear I, on stage, you knew. And there was, his pitch was good, his parts were good, and then he could, he could, uh, he could also scream with the best of them. Yeah, and he could also be a wild, crazy guy on stage for sure. I definitely witnessed it several times. I thought it was really interesting that you got into the fact that this song, it's really only, it's two chord progressions, right? There's only two that ever happened? That's it. It's two chord progressions, but it's, I use the term, it's the sonic tapestry. It's what's going on with those parts. I've always... Uh, made that argument even with with uh, within the confines of my band I've had that same conversation I know it's only two progressions but think of what we're doing here the horns are here it, it's clean guitar during this progression it's distorted guitar over here and the way that uh, that, that John and the band put these parts together with only two chord progressions it takes you on a, an amazing little ride if it's a great song you don't even notice Right. But if it's a bad song, you notice because you're bored. <laughs> yes. Right? Yes. So I thought that was really, really cool. And it's, I don't know, it's kind of a lesson to us all. You don't need to get crazy and have a million different parts in your song to have it be a great song. I think it's kind of a young way of thinking where you think, I want to impress everybody with how how many different parts and how many different chords and chord progressions and, and feels I can do in a song. But this song... It puts you in a mood and keeps you there, and it's pretty much a perfect song. And that's why I think Bert says, yeah, I'll I'll play this song forever. I'll be Willie Nelson in this song one day because why not? Yeah, his attitude was so so refreshing. Uh, I I don't know if he would have maybe said that even 10 years ago. I, I think he's at a point in his life now where he's like, yeah, this is, <laughs> look look what I created. I, I would love to keep being able to do this. It's a, it's an honor. It's a privilege to be able to to get to, to live out this dream. Um, but uh, what a story. I, as I said to Bert, I've always rooted for the underdog, Chris. And, and here they were, you know, you don't get too many bands out of Utah. And yeah. <laughs> Feldman, uh, uh, he, he heard something in these demos. As I said, uh, the demo for Taste of Ink, which which I know you, we have some clips in, in this episode, the, the, the demo... And, and what this song ended up being, uh, it's incredible, but the demo still had had some of these melodies, as I said to Bert. It had that tw- that bridge part, that, uh, that lyric, as long as you're alive, here I am, I promise I will take you there. And the, the, the blueprint was there, and it took the producer, which we've talked about this numerous times on the show, what a producer brings. He can... The producer doesn't get attached like Bert is to his lyrics or the guitar player is to his part. He's just objectively sitting over here going, yeah, but that part doesn't work. I know you love it, but it could be better. And and look look what they came up with. And speaking of Take You There, you talked about this, but I'm the same way, man. When I hear this song, this album, it takes me back to that time. Myself, all my friends, we love this. It puts me in the car with old girlfriends driving down the road listening to it it takes me to warp tours it takes me to hey we listen to this a lot in the van on tour it takes me to like driving in the van it, it takes me to like i was experience no not to the extent they were but experiencing like excitement of oh people like our band and we're touring and things are happening and i relate that to this too i i love how music can do that 
Yeah, for for sure, and uh, I hope our paths cross again. We we used to have a ball with the U's. One of my one of my favorite uh, favorite bands to tour with. And and speaking of having a ball, Chris, you know where I'm going with this? I think I do. Are you going to talk about our supporting cast in our after party podcast? How do you know every week, man? You're ch- Jeez, I'm not going to try a hundred times in a row of, t- of doing this in the rap. I think I got it figured out. Well, then tell our listeners what they get. Yeah. If you go to ChrisDemakes.com and sign up for our supporting cast, it's not very expensive. There's a $5 level and a $10 level. And you support the podcast. You allow us to keep doing this. And in return, we give you a weekly bonus episode of a podcast called The After Party. We put just as much love into The After Party as we do to Chris Demakes a podcast. We love making it. And... I don't know. Judging by what people say about it, people enjoy listening to it, too. At least they tell me they do. So ChrisDemakes.com is where you can go to sign up for our supporting cast. Thank God you did that. I could not have said it any better myself. Thank you, Chris. Give I'm me good a- at it. <laughs> you are. And give me a follow on Instagram, please. I'd love it. At less. Me, too. Yeah. How about me, too? Yeah. How can, about- I, can people follow? You always say that, but I never get to say, hey, follow me on Instagram, too. Chris Fafalius. You can figure out how to spell it. But yeah, me, too. <laughs> you know what? I'm not even going to give my handle. Just follow Chris Fafalius. Uh- <laughs> that will make me feel fantastic. <laughs> and don't forget to join our Facebook group, the Krista Makes a Podcast Facebook group. We'd love to have you be a part of that. It is always a lot of fun. And I want to thank this week's guest, Burt McCracken from The Used. And we'll see you next week. I didn't mean that you had to not say yours. I was just being funny, but. (laughs) Do you like to laugh, geek out on music, and learn all about that band or artist who had that one song back in the day, but then seemed to fall off the face of the earth? If so, you need to subscribe to One Hit Thunder. Together with an array of interesting and hilarious guests, we do a weekly dive into one-hit wonders like Eiffel 65's Blue, Crayshon's Gucci Gucci, EMF's Unbelievable, Delamitri's Roll to Me, Los Del Rio's Macarena, Musical Youth's Pasta Duchy, and even Patrick Swayze's She's Like the Wind. So are you subscribed to One Hit Thunder or what? As Desiree would say, you gotta be. And as K7 would encourage, you gotta come baby come and join in on the fun of the One Hit Thunder podcast. This is the story of Whitney Houston. This is the story of Kurt Cobain. Of George Michael, of Otis Redding, of Amy Winehouse, of Michael Hutchins, Bob Marley. This is the story of Prince. It's a new podcast series. About how they died, why they died, and why we're still talking about them so long after. It's like nothing you've ever heard before. It's storytelling. But it's more than that, because rock stars... They tell us how we feel. They change our mood. They change the clothes we wear, the people we hang out with. The way we remember things. It's them who give us those ludicrous moments, the ones where you're... Jumping around, singing your heart out, feeling understood. And it's those moments we'll help you remember, the ones you're thinking about right now. That feeling. That feeling. It's coming soon. From Crowd Network. Just search for Death of a Rockstar on your podcast app. And subscribe now. Welcome to us talking about our podcast for a minute. What's the name of that podcast? That's Axe to Grind. Uh, and right now you're going to be getting a little, little taste of it, right down to the shaky microphone and all. <laughs> and my name's Bob. And my name's Patrick, and usually we're joined by Tom. Tom's the best. Tom has a real grown-up job that requires him to be at work, but we talk about decidedly not-so-grown-up things like... Hardcore music and things that people that like hardcore music tend to like. So that could be the latest shows, uh, revisiting classic material, talking about the new classics, um, all the little dorm room nonsense that you imagine from a niche music podcast that, that you either love want to love or hate yeah imagine all the emotions that you have towards a genre that that uh has impacted your life uh and then condense them down to an hour to two hours a week so triangulate your speakers think about jumping off the bed singing along dancing like an idiot and listen to axe grind podcast